Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. In South Florida, only the sun is hotter. It's the Joyce Kaufman Show now. 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 On News Talk 850 WFTL. Everybody ate too much. Lord have mercy. I'm not the kind of person who even, you know, eats most of the traditional favorites of Thanksgiving. Like, you know, a dead bird on a plate is not my cup of tea or my favorite meal. Um, But there's some side dishes that you just can't get enough of. Like my, my stepdaughter makes the best mac and cheese on the planet. Um, my husband makes the best collard greens that I've ever eaten. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. And I make the best guacamole. Everybody has their thing. My sister-in-law does a great turkey. They had a great ham. I mean, we had a lot of good food and I ate three desserts. And that's all I'm going to say because it wasn't the right move. That's for sure. But we drove to Tampa. We left the house at 7.30 in the morning, drove to Tampa, got there at, uh, I guess it was around... 11 o'clock maybe? I don't even remember. But we got there. It was a very smooth trip. Not a lot of traffic. People weren't acting crazy yet. Um, But that is a ridiculously long drive for dinner because we turned around and came back, (laughs) which was the mistake. Um, Well, I knew I had to work today and just, you know, be it ever so humble, There's no place like home, and we thought it wouldn't be as hard on us as it was, my poor husband, because he won't, he will not let me drive, which means he had to drive the entire trip back and forth. Um, My grandson took the the uh, upfront seat, the shotgun seat, because I just I get nervous on those interstates with my husband drives kind of like a maniac. But it, it, we got there, we got back, we had a wonderful time. It was really, nobody um, talked about politics at all. I never heard politics brought up, and there was a bunch of us, but nobody brought it up. And um, I'll be, you know, 
forever grateful, not because I wasn't prepared if anybody wanted to talk about it. I, they know what I do, you know, so I, and they know where I stand. So I was prepared, but everybody just said, let's like, I guess in their minds, they said, let's just have a good time and eat way too much food. And that's exactly what we did. In the meantime, I'm looking at, you know, these news stories that have been coming out, well, all week, and now again, definitely coming out um, all day today, these hostages that have been released. And I guess, um, you know, the, the, the truce, or whatever you want to call this, this four days of, it is, it is absolutely a ceasefire, no matter what um, Prime Minister Netanyahu wants to call it. But it started at about seven o'clock in the morning uh, local time. And the first group of hostages that were released were 13 Israeli women and children and 11 Thai and Filipino hostages who were kidnapped and taken into the Gaza territory on October 7th. And they were all, uh, those people were freed today. And they're supposed to be freeing uh, 10 at a time for the next couple of days in exchange for way more uh, Palestinian terrorists, which makes no sense to me. Innocent uh, captives apparently are not worth as much as guilty terrorists, but I'll just, you know, whatever. I'm grateful that uh, that hostages have been transferred to the Red Cross, um, who took them to the Egyptians, who uh, who took them across Egypt, and they're at a trauma center at the Rafa crossing right now. Now, maybe it's just me, but, uh, and by the way, there were 39 Palestinian prisoners, 24 women and 15 teenagers who have been released by Israel. That was their part today. Um, and they too have been, uh, you know, part of a deal that I, I feel like we haven't been told the whole story and probably won't be told the whole story for a long time, but at least we understand that human beings have been released on both sides. Um, although terrorists, calling them human beings is always a little difficult for me, but they are. Um, 10 Thai prisoners and one Filipino citizen. Now, is it just me or do you wonder what that is all about? Why were there so many Thai people either at that festival or at the kibbutz? Like, I didn't know that Israel was a big destination, a favorite holiday place for people from Thailand or the Filipinos. So I guess now I've learned that. They did, uh, or the scheduled release for the Israelis was um, also announced, and I'm glad for the their families. You know, some of them are senior citizens. Um, one of them was a mother and her daughter. Uh, another was a mother and two daughters. Another was a mother and her son. So they literally kept to that part of the promise so far. You know, and I'm looking at the the captives that were released and they look a little like, uh, what's the word, disoriented. But they don't look 
as bad as I was afraid they were going to look. Now, of course, you know, we have no idea how many others are still alive and what condition they're in. We just don't know. But um, it will be days until we understand exactly what really was in this deal. And I, you know, I'm willing to wait, but not forever. Um, I would list the names of the people that were released, but they probably won't mean much to you. Just uh, know that there was a 72-year-old woman, uh, another 72-year-old woman, a 45-year-old woman, and her daughters, one was six, uh, or uh, her daughter, who was six years old, another woman and her daughters, who were four and two, another senior citizen woman, 77 years old, a 54-year-old woman and her son who was nine years old and a 78-year-old woman and uh, an 85-year-old woman and a 79-year-old woman. So that's, that's what we know thus far. In a statement, uh, the IDF said that special forces and ISA forces are currently with the released hostages they, of course, have to be seen medically. They have to be assessed medically inside of Israel. And they'll be surrounded by soldiers until they get to the Israeli hospital, where I guess they'll be reunited with their families. And this is, this is such a, a, I don't even know how to frame this, really. Part of me is outraged that, all of the hostages have not been released and that Israel has not been given a you know, clear sign from the world, the whole community of nations, to just finish off Hamas. This is outrageous. But, you know, diplomacy is always the first desired way to do things, and I get that. But they cannot leave Hamas in charge. And anybody who doesn't think Hamas is going to be regrouping while they're not being uh, surveilled, well, that's, that's almost too naive for even uh, a, a liberal. So I'm just going to uh, think, I'm just going to think not. Uh, Derek will not be on today. He's uh, doing the whole family thing. A bunch of uh, relatives from out of town came in. And so there's a bunch of cousins and he said, finding a place that would be quiet enough, because the studio, they didn't go into work today. Um, he said, finding a place that would be quiet enough to do a broadcast is virtually impossible. So we'll let him off. But he'll have to do doubly as good next week. That's all. Um, so much else to talk about. Our military, I was looking at some of these uh, reports that are coming out now from various high-ranking officials who are weighing in on the trouble in recruitment. And obviously, we've been talking about this for quite some time. It's uh, When you have a volunteer army, the last thing you can afford is for people to become so disenchanted with serving in the military that you have to beg for uh, you know recruits. And that's basically what they've been doing, is begging for recruits and lowering standards and all the rest of it. And it's just so, um, it's really just so disturbing because the world is on the brink of every kind of um, imaginable hostility and the United States of America is no different. So 
I just pray for the people who are currently serving and for those who would be considering serving. And of course, for those who may never have thought about serving in the military, that, um, that, that they begin to think about it because this is a great, great nation, even in its current condition, but it won't remain great. You know, the price of freedom is not free. So I pray that we'll have a resurgence in willing hearts and, uh, and by next year, we'll see the numbers going in another direction. One thing I do have to talk about today, and I'll get into it in the next segment more um, than just now, but but here, yeah, I guess you could call this the tease. Um, I had a friend, I have a friend, who used to do a lot of, well, how do I put this? Public appearances in the United States of America, in spite of the fact that he's a Dutch politician. And I've been talking about this recently, that there was a, a time when I used to do these sort of conferences and we used to put together forums and formats for challenging radical Islam and unbridled immigration. And Geert Walders was one of my cohorts. Uh, he and Pamela Geller and Joe Kaufman and, uh, you know, th we were the diehards. We organized and we made sure that people were given information um, that they could make their own choice about what they thought we should be looking for in immigrate immigrants in this country or in his case in the Netherlands or in Europe as a whole and he was always considered you know the the rogue right wing uh, blah, blah, blah. And remember a week or so ago when I said to you when Millier uh, won his election and I said, you're watching South America start tilting right because they're fed up with what the left has done to their countries. And everybody, you know, always uh, thinks I'm a whatever, I'm, I'm an alarmist. And, and they don't want me to, to uh, take positions that, that are so uncomfortable for them to have to listen to. I don't know why. But Argentina went with Millet, and now the Netherlands elected Geert Wilders. Um, he got the most seats, and that's how they operate. So he has to put together a coalition to rule in the Netherlands. A man who, you know, the last time I saw him here in the United States, he was still basically a wanted, hunted guy with all kinds of fatwas upon his head. But here, this is what I was talking about with Millet and what I'm talking about with Geert Wilders. There is a resurgence of populists and right-leaning parties all over the world. What does that mean for us here in the United States? We'll talk more about that in the next segment. Don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app. That way you have everything. You have access to it right on your phone or your laptop or wherever you uh, have your apps downloaded. I know some people are a little intimidated, don't want to download any more apps, so that's fine. Visit our website, 850WFTL.com. You can get all the breaking news. You can get the uh, weather updates. You can get 
all the podcasts. I mean, if for no other reason, if you want to listen to the No Restraint podcast or the Unidentified Alien podcast or uh, Cool Dad Rules or any of our programs that are, uh, you know, that you want to hear that you might have missed, just get that app or go to the website, 850wftl.com. Let me take a quick break and I will be right back. You know, I take a very, very um, wide look, a big look at what I see happening around the world politically, because the left was just running amok in South America, running amok in Europe, here in the United States. I mean, I listen to some of the nonsense that comes out of our Democrat Party, which is left certainly left of center, and these days, left of left of left. And I think to myself, how long can any of these countries, how long can the world go on leaning in a direction that's self-destructive? And the answer is always the same. Politics is cyclical, just like everything else. And when you live in a democratic republic like we do, you can see a switch back and forth happen pretty regularly. And in many cases, it can just happen in every election. If people are disenchanted with the government that they have, well, then the first thing they are able to do is vote for a different government. Think about this. We vote for congressmen, congresspersons every two years. They have to run for re-election every two years, which is why it's mind-boggling to me that we have congresspersons who have been there for decades. So you mean every two years when you look at the record of your congressperson, you think to yourself, we could never get anybody better? I just don't think that way. You know, I always presume that we could do better. We could get younger. We could be, you know, have a little variety is the spice of life. But it's not just here. It's all over the world. People get very comfortable. They don't like change. I don't like change in most instances. I, you know, I rebel when sometimes my husband just wants to change something pretty simplistic. And I'm like, no, no, we can't do that. And he'll say, why not? And I'll say, because I, I'm, 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 I'm uncomfortable with change. We all have a certain level of discomfort with change. But we were, the founding fathers were brilliant. They said, look, if people can't do the job, you should be able to do like Donald Trump did in The Apprentice. You're fired. But we have such a reluctance to do that. Well, not so much anymore, especially when things get bad enough. So... He won his election, you know, Geert Wilders in the New in, in the Netherlands. And today he began the what's considered a formal process of building a government coalition. They did the same thing in Israel. And, and they do the same thing in Great Britain. You know, we don't do this, but many democracies, Western style democracies, do. And believe me, 
everybody is going to watch this very, very carefully because Wilder's PVV Freedom Party makes people very uncomfortable. It's like setting off a political earthquake. And he won. He didn't just sneak in. He won over the next uh, party, I think 10 points or better. And part of the PVV platform, or as the, the leftists in the media were calling it all day yesterday and all night, uh, they, uh, the, his uh, PVV manifesto. No, it's the platform of that party calls for a ban on mo- mosques and a ban on the Koran and a referendum on leaving the European Union. So trust me, those are some major shifts in policy if they are to take place. So they're all huddling today in Parliament. And what do you call this when, when people are trying to come to one result, even though there's a lot of uh, horse trading, right? And this is a process that generally in the Netherlands takes like a bunch of months. They have to first appoint something that's called a scout. And that's the person who will go between the parties and find out who's prepared to work with who. And then you start crunching the numbers because it's very complex electoral math. You know, to have a stable coalition, you need 76 seats in the 150-seat parliament, just over 50%. But the uh, Dutch political system is so fragmented that it's often like four or more parties have to come together to reach that magic number. He's halfway there. Geert is nearly halfway there because he won 37 seats. And that's according to the results that I looked at this morning, which are the last, uh, they're pretty near to complete, I'm sure, in the counting. So at 37, he is a little more than halfway there. And now that gives him first crack at forming a government. And he has certain parties that he'd rather form the the, uh, coalition with. Uh, One is the BBB Farmers Party, The other is the new social contract. Uh, That's the party that um, Pieter Omsgit, the guy who's against uh, political corruption. (laughs) Good luck with that. And then the center-right VVD, which was for 13 years the ruling party of Mark Root. So I think they're pretty sure that the BBB is going to get on board, which will bring their seven seats to the table. Um. They need the 20 seats from the new social contract. They, they need those really bad. If they get those, then the rest is really uh, just going to be ceremonial. The, the spotlight really is on the VVD and their leader, a man by the name of Dylan Yeselgaz, who is a Turkish-born uh, person now living in the in the Netherlands, uh, and voters, you know, rebuked his party. It's still important, though, for those twenty four seats to go to 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 go to Geert Wilders. Can they work with him? I don't know. That's going to be the 
crucial question. And everything that I'm reading, I'm looking at uh, the Klingendahl Institute findings. I'm looking at the AFP has done an analysis here on the state side. And Gert Wilders has said, I'm going to compromise on some of the more hardline views that you've heard me. But, you know, because, of course, he says the same thing every politician always says, I want to be the prime minister for everybody, for all the Dutch, regardless of their religion or sexuality or color or gender or whatsoever. When you're prime minister, you are different. You take it on a different role than when you're leader of the opposition, which is what he's been the whole time I've known him, 20-odd years. And, of course, we've already seen some signs coming out of some of the other parties of how they're going to do this, how they're going to handle it. But th this is a new reality for all these politicians. And they're all going to have to learn how to deal with the fact that voters once again have said, not business as usual. We're going to try a different approach. Because I assure you, that a lot of the people that voted for Geert Wilders this time would have never voted for him in the past. You know, he is um, a very strident proponent of national sovereignty, of, of believing that the Netherlands, the Dutch people, have a right to be the Dutch people and that they don't have to accommodate every group that has immigrated into their country. This is the new reality. And let me tell you something. Donald Trump proved that new reality in 2016 here in the United States of America. Now you have a prime minister in the Netherlands who is plunged into the middle of a pretty um, heavy-duty international situation. We've got a war in the Middle East. This is all about radical Islam. And so to have a prime minister in the Netherlands who is an adamant and has been for decades opponent of allowing the radical Islamic fringe groups in his country, and I would say in all countries, to gain a lot of political capital. Now, of course, that doesn't make people happy. You know, particularly the Muslim community, the Dutch Muslim community is insane right now all out in the streets. They got rallies. They had a rally in Utrecht. They had a rally in Amsterdam. There's another rally that's uh, scheduled for the Capitol on Friday. And they're anxious. They're fearful at the thought of a prime minister um, who makes no particular bones about his beliefs. But some of, the, some of them will give him a chance. Look, some of them are fed up. A lot of people are fed up with what they see as very unfair policies to accommodate people who are not native to the country. You know, it's the same as, as we say here in the United States. I'm not going to change our culture and our laws to accommodate any group of recently arrived immigrants. I don't care if it's Latin American immigrants coming across the southern border or if it's, uh, you know, uh, disenfranchised Muslims coming across various ports of entry. If they fundamentally want to change America, they're not welcome. And that's pretty much what Geert Valdes has always been saying. So it's going to be very interesting. I'm going to be watching this very closely. I reached out trying to get a message through to him, but I, you know, it's, you know I'm sure he's very busy right now. 
um, which is a good thing, trying to put together a coalition. But you're starting to see the pendulum swing. And that's what I always say. The pendulum will swing all the way to the left, but that means it will come all the way back to the right. And then it just continues to swing. And it seldom settles into the middle. Because as I've always claimed, the only thing in the middle of the road is roadkill. And nobody wants to be part of the roadkill. All right, I'm going to take a break. We're not going to be talking to Derek today, so I got a lot of stuff I'd like to cover as we wind out this uh, Thanksgiving Day weekend. I think it's surprising enough that I'm actually here and live, but I really wanted to be, and I'm grateful for this opportunity. So stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So I don't know. There's some kind of uh, you know timeline where all of a sudden we're seeing a just a, a litany, a string of women saying that they have been raped by these powerful men, okay? Um, and we've seen it. We, last week it was uh, Mayor Eric Adams was accused of sexually assaulting a woman in 1993, it's 2023, okay? So that was 30 years ago. I guess the cutoff was 30 years. Uh, it had been extended recently. I, I, I really don't know. But all of a sudden, Jamie Foxx gets hit with a claim. Sean Combs got hit with a third claim for rape. Um, Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo sued for sex assault. And today, the newest uh, one added to the list was uh, A.J. Delgado. Now, she had brought this suit up before, but all of a sudden now it's a rape case. Uh, Jason Miller, the former uh, Trump cabinet, well, not a cabinet member, a member of the Trump White House. And so I'm looking at all these people, and forgive me if I sound a little bit like I might believe certain kinds of conspiracies, but I might, you know, all of a sudden, a lot of very powerful men, they're attempting to take them down with these cases of, uh, of sexual assault or sex, sex abuse, whatever, you know, in each particular case, it's, it's called, because I don't know, what's the difference between a sexual assault and rape? Does rape only involve one act? I, I really don't know. I don't know what the law is. I mean, I, I can tell you what I think, but I don't know what the law is. All of a sudden, though, we have all these terms, and they're being uh, applied quite liberally to a lot of powerful men, many of whom I can't stand. But that doesn't mean that I don't want to know, what is this all about? Because in keeping with the theme of powerful men and sexual impeccadillos, we have the accused ringleaders of a network of sophisticated high-end brothels that service politicians, um, military officials, government contractors. And apparently today I read in, in the New York Post that they kept impeccable records of their illicit operation, which netted them over a million dollars. So you basically we're talking about a prostitution ring, which operates 
well, operated, I don't know if it's still in business, in these like luxury apartments in Massachusetts, in Virginia. And all this got submitted in an affidavit, which I'm trying to, you know, pour over uh, in the district of Massachusetts on Wednesday by the special agent Zachary Mitlitsky from the Department of Homeland Security. He says that two of the co-conspirators in the case, this is Han Lee and Jumyoung Lee, could have access to even more funds than investigators are already aware of, and therefore they pose a flight risk and should remain behind bars. Hans is apparently the leader of the scheme, according to this investigation, and has concealed over a million dollars in prostitution proceeds. During a search of his Cambridge, Massachusetts apartment, they found bulk quantities of condoms, lubricants, lingerie, UTI and pregnancy testing kits, and fake eyelashes. That's an interesting uh, haul. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to picture the investigators as they're going through all this stuff and going like, okay, here, I got uh, 600 pregnancy testing kits. What? They found 16 cell phones and ledgers detailing the financial records of this operation and about $22,000 in cash, dozens of gift cards. Well, that's not so hard to accumulate. I think you could probably find that in a lot of... Uh, organizations at Christmas time, right? There's gift cards and cash because they do bonuses. Although this year, I'm guessing most people are not expecting much. He says, I believe that Hans's financial and business record keeping was impeccable. I mean, I wish we could say that about the Pentagon. We just had the sixth failed audit of the Department of Defense. They can't they can't pass an audit. They haven't been able to pass the last six audits. I don't know about the rest of you, but if you've ever been audited by the IRS, you better pass. <laughs> and if you don't pass, you're probably going to get audited again and again and again. And that's just the reality. So imagine you're running a prostitution ring with all these high-end people who are your customers and you're keeping detailed ledgers about everything that goes on in every single one of your brothels. I kept referring to Han as a man. Apparently, Han is a woman. So at the time that they um, went in with a search warrant to her house, it's not a him, it's a her. Excuse me. I just, you know, Han to me is I'm thinking Hans. It was open to a page that showed the stage names, appointment dates and times, and earnings of the women. Noting that one of the names listed in the ledger matched a woman allegedly pimped out online by defendants and found present at the brothel in Tysons, Virginia during the very same execution of a search warrant. You know, you should see these photographs. I always find it amazing that we have access almost immediately to um, police work, forensic photographs from the scene with all these gift cards, like, you know, Visa gift cards, Best Buy gift cards. It's all laid out. Uh, $100 bills wrapped in rubber bands, $50 bills and, and condoms. 
condoms and lubricants. I mean, that's a strange thing for some woman to have lying around her house, right? They also found the things that she does all this for, which is like a Louis Vuitton, purses and Yves Saint Laurent, Givenchy, Christian Louboutin, I can't even pronounce these things, Jimmy Choo, you know, shoes that cost a thousand bucks, and a cell phone that apparently she uses to communicate with the sex workers through a South Korean messaging app. Eh, did you even know there was a South Korean messaging app? Because I didn't. During these communications, Han not only listed a brief description of the anticipated customers, the expected sexual services, and corresponding pricing and schedule of appointments for the day, but also set forth what I believe to be her house rules for commercial sex workers engaging in sex for a fee at the brothel apartments. Okay. She used a photo of her pet dog as her profile picture. Very careful, huh? Jimmy Young Lee was believed to be in charge of booking the appointments for the sex customers, according to the investigator Malitsky, who discovered $5,000 in cash, four ledgers, appointment books, and multiple computers and cell phones during a search of his Dedham, Massachusetts apartment. So I guess we're safe to assume that Jimmy Lung Lee is a man and Han Lee is a woman, probably you know, brother and sister or husband and wife. A photograph of an appointment book included in the affidavit appears to show that at least one of the sex workers slaved for about 10 hours on October 18th of 2022 from 8.30 in the morning to 8.15 at night with a one-hour break. <laughs> There's a lot of detail. He also, Jim Young also spent lavishly he had a Corvette and, you know, guys don't have purses and shoes that cost $1,000. They go right for the $70,000 Corvette, you know. Deposits in his bank accounts totaled approximately $378,365. That's not approximate. That's pretty exact, according to the uh, investigating agent. Han's bank accounts showed approximately $965,000 in mostly cash deposits going back to December of 2019. Neither one of them appears to have ever worked a legitimate job in all those years, according to the arrest affidavit. There is a significant concern by investigators that Han may actually have control over other accounts that have not even been identified and has transferred tens of thousands of dollars to South Korean bank accounts and as many as 30 individuals. So this operation was huge, large, large, large. So we'll see. But it's interesting to me, you have all this going on. So these politicians and these military officials and these celebrities could have gone here to Han and Jimmy Young's uh, brothel instead of raping their employees or uh, allegedly raping their employees. What, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. What a, what a horrible indictment of the current state of moral affairs 
in the United States of America. Just saying. It's got to make you sick to your stomach. It makes me sick to my stomach. Don't forget after me, Eric Erickson. And then after that, Joe Pags, followed by Lars Larson. And then we're in the weekend. And I can only tell you, hallelujah for the weekend. And then Monday morning, Jen and Bill will be back at 6 a.m., followed by Brian Kilmeade at 9 o'clock. Man, that man is on TV even this morning. Does he ever rest? Brian Kilmeade at 9, 12 o'clock, Dan Bongino comes your way, and then at 3 o'clock to Monday, I'll be back uh, with more of the Joyce Kaufman Show. For right now, let me take my final break for today, and we'll be back to wrap up the show. Yeah, so I, I feel like um, I have to at least do a cursory look at the celebrity news before we, uh, before I sign off today. But it really is... Uh, pretty uninteresting with the exception of one story that I saw on TMZ's website earlier today. Oscar Pistorius. Do you remember that story? The guy who was an ex-Olympic sprinter and killed his girlfriend, Reva Steenkamp. Well, (laughs) he's already getting out of jail. Yeah, he he was granted parole two years earlier than expected. The convicted killer was sentenced to 13 years and five months for the 2016 shooting and murdering his 29-year-old girlfriend. But after winning his parole board hearing on Friday, the South African Department of Correctional Services granted him parole. And on January 5th of next year, He's getting out. He has to do some uh, anger management program and it has to stay and live in the area of Pretoria. I guess that's where he he uh, is from. And, uh, you know, this is a guy who allegedly, well, no, he's convicted, who killed his girlfriend and he is a double amputee. And he, you know... <laughs> We covered that story from morning until night. They they used to call him Blade Runner, right? Because he he had those blades like um, Congressman Mast has, and he was he he claim his claim in the case was that he never meant to shoot her, but that he thought she was an intruder. So he was convicted of something called culpable homicide which is, if, if it were in the United States, it would have been manslaughter. And then it was later, the charge was later upgraded to, uh, to murder. But he's getting out already. I, I mean, sometimes I just, I, d- I don't understand timelines, really. And, and I'm sure it's been difficult to be a double amputee in prison, but, you know, he's alive and she's not. And then the other story that was on TMZ that was interesting was that P. Diddy sued by a third woman for rape and choking her. You know, and, and his claim is these are all fabricated claims of misconduct from over 30 years ago, and it's just people looking to get money, and they're, they're anonymous accusers, and he's being targeted because, of course, this new New York legislature had put this law in called the Adult Survivors Act, and the claim is that everybody is uh, is 
taken advantage of it. The new lawsuit, the TMZ, uh, I checked with Derek, he actually reviewed the lawsuit, was filed anonymously by Jane Doe, who claims that Diddy and singer-songwriter Aaron Hall took turns raping her and one of her friends, either in 1990 or 1991. I'm just going to say, if you get raped, I think you probably remember the year. You're not, you know, trying to figure out what year it is. Anyway, that does it for me. I uh, thank you for your time this time until next time. And of course, my plan is to be back here on Monday at three o'clock, if it be his will, and he delays his coming. But as I always say, remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us. Well, those are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then, of course, maintain that, that gratefulness that you exhibited yesterday when we all said what we were grateful for this year. Um, continue to thank God for the fact that we woke up this morning. There were no bombs going off. We had food in our refrigerators, probably way too much leftovers. And there are some people running for their lives. And then I will continue to pray for all of you. Now, may God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. See you on Monday. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.